When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. Matip heads from the angle and off the woodwork. And it's off the line by James. Twice, but was it with a hand? And it's a red card as well. So Chelsea's pain is doubled. So Liverpool reflects on a missed opportunity for all three points against 10-man Chelsea. But great quality on show and two sides that are surely going to be fighting it out for honours at the end of the season. What did we learn? Well, the Athletics' James Pearce and Liverpool writer Chris McLaughlin uh, joined myself, Steve Hothersall, on the Red Agenda to sift through those main talking points and also have a look at that transfer window that hovers at the moment. Uh, James, let's start with the game itself. Some brilliant football in the first half. Game was scintillating. Atmosphere was as well. Uh, you could see both teams mean business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think we saw enough, didn't we, on... On Saturday evening, to know that you know both of those teams are going to be right in the mix for the biggest prizes this time around. I think um, it, it was it was a strange game, wasn't it? Because I thought you know Liverpool started really well and then seemed to seemed to suffer a bit. I think for, you know at falling behind, you know that seemed to you know be, be a bit of a body blow to them, and they they struggled to recover from that and could easily have become two 0 with that chance that that Mason Mount had. Um, and then you know to, they needed that penalty just on the stroke of half time. They needed something just to ha- to go go for them to get them back in it. And um, you know, of course, at that point with the red card, you know, it, like you know, like most people, I expected Liverpool to kick on and win the game. And so when they didn't, you know, it there was a bit almost like a mood of deflation afterwards because you know you could see you know the contrasting reaction from the two sets of players. You know, Liverpool players looked like they'd lost, and Chelsea looked like they'd won. It was. Um, certainly, a, you know, a better point in the end for for Chelsea than it was for Liverpool. Um, so yeah, frustrating because you know with, when you have that amount of ball and you've got an extra man for so long, you expect expect Liverpool to make it count. But um, but yeah, all, all in all, you know, it's uh, you know when you when you're coming up against the European champions and you, you you're disappointed with a point, you know, that's um, that probably says a lot about expectation levels. Chris, welcome uh, to the pod. The intensity of the occasion was great, wasn't it? It's just superb having the fans back in for starters for a game like that. I mean, the Burnley game last weekend was brilliant. You know, the sort of first game back with a full house. But to be playing Chelsea, one of our main rivals for the title, the European champions, as much as I hate saying that, that they are the champions of Europe. And the atmosphere was superb. The 5.30 kickoffs are always great. The noise at Anfield's much better. Uh, once everybody's obviously got in with the current situation with the, the NFC passes. And it was a proper Premier League game between two really, really good teams who are both going to be fighting for this title. 
Yeah, it almost felt like a title decider, didn't it? In a, in a weird way, three games into the season, but it had everything that went around it, Chris, that made you feel that a lot rode on this. Yeah, and for, for that to be the third game and for, like James said, the sort of re- the different reactions from the players at full time and that, you know, Liverpool clearly felt they missed an opportunity. You don't get to play for half a game against 10 men of a team of Chelsea's calibre that often. Although, that said, last season at Stamford Bridge around this time, last year they had a man sent off just before half-time. Uh, Christiansen got sent off and we, we, we won that game 2-0. So, I think maybe that'll be in the minds of the, the Liverpool players as well. At the same time, if you're a Chelsea player... You've had a man sent off. You played the second half at a full Anfield. You've had to make a sub as well. They lost N'Golo Kante um, at half-time. You'd be buzzing to get a one-all draw from that. Um, they know they were in a game as well. And I didn't see too much between the two teams, to be honest. I thought they looked pretty evenly matched over the course of the, the first half. Chelsea probably had the best chance when Mason Mount put the ball wide over than the goal they scored from the corner. But I thought, you know, you're looking at two teams who are going to be competing with each other and with the two Manchester clubs for the big prize. We'll go straight to the red card. You mentioned it, James. Rhys James sent off, dismissed for deliberate handball. At, at the time, I have to say, I didn't understand the law. And obviously, there was such a melee going on. And I was saying, what's he actually been sent off for? Now, the, obviously, the replay show the scoop of the arm, that the right arm. Is, is that just the, the slight difference that was the convincing factor for the referee when he went over to the VAR monitor? Yeah, 100%. Because I must admit, initially, I thought I thought... You know, it's not going to be a red card on the basis that you know it, it diverted from his thigh to his arm. But then when you when you actually look at the replay, you know he, he's made a concerted effort to to swing his arm around a bit, which is probably you know I think it's a natural reaction in the heat of the you know of the of that particular moment. But um, yeah, under the letter of the law, Anthony Taylor had no other option. You know whether whether you know I saw various pundits saying it was ridiculously harsh and he should use common sense and all the rest of it, but. You you can't have it both ways, can you? You can't, you know, the the rules are there to be enforced. Referees can't just choose as and when they decide to to, to stick to them. So, no, it was was the right decision, as as harsh as that probably seemed on Rhys James at the time, because it it wasn't one of those absolute clear-cut ones where, you know, a defender's pulled off a save on the line to... to, But it would, you know, it would have... But but for that movement of his arm, it it would have been a goal. I mean, you know, the ironic thing was, as much as the red card was kind of celebrated by... You know the vast majority of those inside Anfield at the time. It, it, you know, it, it actually in hindsight it probably hampered Liverpool rather than helped them because, I mean, it certainly wrecked the game as a spectacle, because you know that opening forty-five minutes was so, you know, intense. The tempo from both teams so open, both teams had space to exploit. Um, and you know, I think it would have been really interesting to see what would have happened with eleven against eleven because, of course, you know, suddenly then. You know, through quite rightly, Tuchel goes to you know it's it's a backs to the wall job. It's you know as Klopp said, it was it became you know five three one. You know everyone behind the ball apart from Lukaku, um, and you know despite having that extra man, it was actually very very difficult for Liverpool to find any space um, to exploit. You know certainly you were not going to be able to do anything on the counter attack because Chelsea were were sat so deep. So. Um, yeah, you know, no excuses because I still think when when you've got when you've got a man extra for that long, and you're as team as talented as Liverpool, you should be able to find a way. Um, but yeah, it, it actually didn't particularly help them. It certainly didn't help the game in terms of a spectacle. So much going on in that that two minutes where the red w- was issued. You had. Um... Sadio Mane, I don't know whether you saw that, Chris. Initially, he was putting his arm around um, Rhys James and then the camera panned in on him, sort of showing those gleaming white teeth and sort of 
almost sort of mocking him off the pitch. Um, then you had, of course, Mendy coming face to face with Salah as he was he was about to take the penalty, which is something that you know I, I don't recall in in recent times where a, a keeper's come that close. Whether he was he was talking in his ear, I think one of the Chelsea players was scuffing the penalty spot as well. Yeah, Rudiger. Yeah, it, there was a lot of gamesmanship, um, to be honest, and. I think that's part of Chelsea's DNA a little bit. I think it comes from the manager. I remember when Thomas Tuchel was in charge of PSG and we played them sort of home and away in the Champions League. And there was a lot of theatrics and antics and Neymar dive. And then we had a weak referee in Paris. And his players sort of made the most of that. And I think when something goes against a team managed by him and when you've got a captain like Aspilicueta who's sort of been there, done it, you've got you know wily campaigners in that side they will they will try and gain an advantage by doing anything they can whether that's trying to put off the penalty taker trying to scuff the penalty spot and, and even when the penalty goes in Mendy then tries to boost the ball and boost Hendo in the same sort of <laughs> motion and gets, gets a yellow card and you're thinking wow what an end to this half what's going to happen next and Maybe the biggest disappointment was the half-time whistle went just after that because the next five minutes, if that first half had still been going on, would have been really tasty. Yeah, everyone's getting stuck into it at that point. Mo taking the penalty. Talk about Mr. Reliable, James. So he scored his last 14 Premier League penalties and they're pretty much all convincing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the thing. When when Liverpool do get penalties now, you just... You know, there's no, there's, don't, don't there is any doubt, is there? I don't think there's any, not any doubt in Mo Salah's mind that... You know what the what the outcomes gonna be. So um, yeah, yeah, he um, you know dispatched that so clinically. And I think Chris is absolutely spot on. It was you know it was not only did the red card you know wreck the game as a spectacle, but it was also the the timing of it. It would have been really interesting if Tuchel hadn't had that half time break immediately to calm his players down mm. because they had completely lost their heads. I think you know I don't know for argument's sake, say there'd been a long stoppage earlier on in the game, and then we still had six or seven minutes left of the first half after the red card. You know, I, I, I could have seen Liverpool scoring again or another Chelsea player getting sent off because, um, you know, especially in that atmosphere, you know, the, you know it, um, yeah, I think, you know, that the, the, the timing actually probably did help Chelsea in terms of, because, you know, obviously Tuchel made the changes, didn't he, at, at half-time. And, and it worked, you know, he, he, he did a very good job at, at stifling Liverpool in that second half. Yeah, because let's face it, James, they've got the players to be able to do that. When you brought on Thiago Silva, you've got Kante, Kovacic, Jorginho. I mean, it's hard enough playing against 10 men who are sort of sitting deep, but then you look at the quality of those players as well, and that's why it turned into such a frustrating affair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the depth that Chelsea have got is pretty extraordinary when you when you think that you know they didn't even use Timo Werner, did they? And, you know, obviously, I think Pulisic is... Is missing at the moment as well. Um, so you know they've got they've got an absolute array of options. And then when, you know when you see him being able to tweak it defensively and bring on someone of the caliber of, of Thiago Silva, um, and you know and obviously Kovacic, you, you know actually could have won the game for Chelsea late on with that chance on the, the counter attack when you know when Allison denied him. So um, yeah, you know they they you know it's they they are going to take some stop in this season, Chelsea. There's no doubt about that. You know is. You know, it, it might not be very pleasant to mention them in such high esteem, but they are the European champions for a for a reason, and they're only going to be stronger this season with with Lukaku um, leading the line. I actually thought Liverpool did a really good job on Lukaku. I thought Joel Matip had a, I think he had a bit of a crazy couple of minutes midway in the the first half. I think it was when um, you know gave the ball away cheaply, and he, he could have. 
the, the ball actually dropped to him, didn't it? About 45, 50 yards out, Mendy miles out of his goal and he you know, he could have gone for it. Ended up taking a couple of touches and giving it away stupidly and leaving Liverpool exposed. But um, I thought the second half, Matip was very good. Um, you know, Van Dijk, absolutely peerless again. I think, you know, we talked about, you know, the, the opening weeks of the season have almost been like a gradual increasing the, the, the kind of, you know, the challenge for Van Dijk from making his comeback at Norwich to then facing Burnley to then suddenly locking horns with, with Lukaku. And yeah, it, it probably helped Liverpool a little bit in terms of that challenge. The fact that Lukaku was so isolated second half because, you know, Chelsea weren't able to get numbers up around him very often. Um, but yeah, take nothing away from, from Matip and Van Dijk because I thought, you know, that's been one of the real positives of the season so far. The fact that both of those players have not only come back from long-term injuries, but have got back to a high level so quickly. And there's a decent understanding between them. I just think, you know, Van Dijk makes whoever's next to him better. But I think especially that's true with Matip because, you know, he is quite a quiet guy. I think he needs a dominant personality next to him and, there's certainly no one better than, than Virgil van Dijk on that front. Yeah, he's, he's intriguing, isn't he? You, you sort of hope that injury-wise he can just keep clear of it because, what, he's had four or five years, Chris, where it's not gone his way. If he can put up a proper run of games, and by that you're talking 15-plus together, then, wow, I mean, you know, the two of them together certainly work. It really does, and um, they've only lost... Liverpool have only lost one league game when they played together at centre-half, and that was the first time at Swansea. So since that game, which I think was about January 2018 in Virgil's first month at the club, when they played at centre-back together, and obviously they've not always played at centre-back together because of the injuries to Virgil and the, the injuries you just mentioned to Joel, Liverpool haven't lost. Um, I think maybe the last time they lost was in, in Camp Nou to Barcelona in the first leg of the, the semi-final when they played together. And that says a lot, doesn't it? That when you've got that sort of heart of the defence, right, with Alisson behind you and, and Fabinho in front, let's be honest, because he makes a massive difference. Um, Liverpool are pretty good at the back you know I think the way they handled Lukaku yesterday was really good because they kept him out of the box even in the first half when it was 11 for 11 outside of the box he's not as much as a danger it's when you like we saw against Arsenal when Chelsea played Arsenal they dropped off him a little bit they let him sort of push them into the box Liverpool maintained the line they maintained the high line stopped him from doing that um, so Chelsea's biggest danger really was potentially players running in behind Liverpool off him, um, which is, the, which, you know, Mason Mount got the chance in the first half from that. And I think it's knowing your players. And someone like Virgil, who's, you know, massively experienced, he, he can match people physically, but he's also clever. He's also he's also a leader and he knows how to, to, to organise and run a back line, but also how to play against particular opponents. Um, and I think we saw that yesterday against Lukaku, who didn't really get much of a sniff, did he? Maybe one sort of half chance on the turn in the second half that Matip was right on him and blocked. And other than that, he wasn't that much of a threat. Talking of strikers, and we were talking before we started this pod, um, strikers who sometimes aren't that sort of prevalent throughout the entirety of the game, but can just pop up and score for you. That's that's Diogo Jota, isn't it, James? I mean, you know, in, in the last couple of games, he's been instrumental. He didn't start this game, but he is one of those players that actually sometimes he's not at the heart of, of everything that's going on, but he gets a big chance and he got a great chance in this game. Unfortunately, his header was just over. Yeah, I mean, he looked as likely as anyone, didn't he, to, to find a winner when Liverpool were, were pushing and pushing in that second half. I've... I've 
I can understand not starting him because I think, you know, Firmino has got a very good record against Chelsea and Klopp still does turn to him, I think, more often than not when the big games come along. You know, he, he loves Firmino dropping off into those pockets of space and, and link in play. But, um, yeah, I did feel for Jota considering, you know, to, to have scored in the opening two games and then and then get overlooked for, for Chelsea. But, he, you know, he came on, he, he made an impact. I think the, the concern for me was... You know when 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 it was clear that you know after that initial onslaught at the start of the second half, when Chelsea had weathered that storm and the intensity levels had dropped and it was like we're running out of ideas here. You know some fresh legs are needed just to change things, and you know and of course you know you you look at the attacking options that are left, and of course you know Minamino wasn't called upon. You know not a, not a minute of football for him so far this season. Of course Divock Origi didn't even make the matchday squad again. Um, so, you know, as good as Jota is, and he's an absolute class act, and he's proved himself to be an elite option, I still do think, as we come towards the end of the window, that that, that is an area of concern for me. The fact that, you know, the, the Liverpool didn't have the kind of options that the Klopp felt he could throw on in that final 20 minutes. I think it said a lot, the fact that instead he turned to Thiago to replace Henderson and, and similarly, you know, on the, you know, to... To use your last sub to to bring on Simicus in place of the Tyron Robertson, um, yeah. To, to me, I think that said that, that, especially in terms of the challenges ahead and such a long season, it does that kind of lack of high caliber backup does does worry me a bit. Yeah, Jurgen's insisted a few times that actually he's happy with what he's got and nothing big is going to happen in the window, James. But I, I think we all feel at least another body is needed going forward. Yeah, and I think, you know, actually, when you look at it, it's probably a much bigger priority than actually replacing Wijnaldum, where, of course, you know, we've all talked and written a lot about that over the course of the summer. You know, Jeannie Wijnaldum played almost every minute of every game. You know, how why haven't Liverpool replaced him? But actually, three games into the season, when you look at how Harvey Elliott has performed in that midfield, and, you know, there's no bigger show of faith than the fact that Klopp picked him ahead of Cater and ahead of Thiago uh, on Saturday. Um, but it is actually further forward where arguably he does have not only fewer options, but I'd say the the drop off in quality is that much bigger because, you know, you know, Jota without a shadow of a doubt has gate crashed that front three where, you know, and, and, and given Klopp a real dilemma, I don't, Jota isn't backup. Jota is, you know, an absolutely top level player who has proved to be a fantastic signing. But, you know, when you actually scratch beneath the surface below that, you know the reality is there is a big drop off to to Minamino and Origi, and you know obviously we're waiting at the moment to find out you know the extent of Firmino's injury. It didn't look great the fact that he pulled up holding his hamstring. He's having a scan, um, you know as as we speak I think, and then um, you know so that that is a worry for me. And it's you know it's you know people talk about the Africa Cup of Nations in January, and I think of course that's a factor this season because you face it you know facing being without Salah, Mane, and and Cater for a month. And, and, you know, and all the way along, Liverpool have said, well, you know, you don't buy someone for a month. That's ridiculous. And like, you know, you're obviously 100% on board with that. You wouldn't, you know, that, that would make no financial or sporting sense at all. But I don't think Liverpool just need another attacker for that month of January. I think they just need another attacker full stop. What do you think, Chris? Other teams are bolstered, Grealish to City, Ronaldo to United. Have Liverpool got enough? In a season that is clearly going to get very busy, we've seen the Champions League dates introduced. Are you confident? 
I would say, like every other Liverpool fan, Liverpool need another striker. They need a forward player. I don't know anybody who doesn't think that, to be honest. Um, you look at Origi yesterday not even making the match day squad, and to me, in a, in a game where you've got 10 minutes to play against 10 men, there should be another forward who, who can come on and make a difference. Now, obviously, you'd have to use Jota earlier than he probably would have done because of the in- injury to Firmino. But you, you've got nine subs now, so you, you want that other option on the bench. And for me, if Minamino's face doesn't fit there, if he doesn't think he's quite up to it, because he, he doesn't start him that regularly, he let him go on loan last season to Southampton when we weren't exactly flush with strikers. So that suggests to me that he's maybe not as confident that he can change the game compared to, to the other options. But then you must be more confident in him than Origi because he's, he's not even making the bench. So for me, it is an area that Liverpool do need to strengthen. And, you know, Liverpool fans probably look at the other clubs and you look at Ronaldo going back to United and you look at Lukaku going to Chelsea for big money, you look at Grealish adding more creativity to City and they were trying to get Harry Kane. Don't forget, they might yet try and get another forward. Um, You can get a little bit envious that, well, hang on, our rivals have got new attacking options. And let's be honest, there's nothing more exciting than seeing a new striker and a forward come to your club. They're the the players that, that thrill supporters. You, you can be a little bit envious that, well, they're stronger than us now. They, they've got extra bodies and quality players coming in and we've not. Um, it is a, So I think it is a concern and we won't know how much of a concern until we see how the season pans out if nobody comes in. But that said, the window's still open, the, the opportunity's there. It's just whether they've identified that player and they, and they can get him, but they think they need him. And I, I don't know if they do think they need him. Quiet window, James, or not? <laughs> um, well, it's... I think at the moment it's it's quiet. I, I I would still be amazed if Liverpool didn't have a few irons in the fire, um, because you know the 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 from from the people I've spoken to, it's always been well, you know if if there's a deal to be done before the window shuts that that we believe is you know offers offers decent value for someone who is better than what we've already got, then then they'll do it. So. Um, I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't say there's no chance at this stage of of another incoming, but um, but clearly, you know, it is it is very quiet. I think um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in terms of who goes out the other way. Um, you know, kind of one end of the scale. You've obviously got people like you know Loris Carius and Shea Ojo that they're looking to find new clubs for, and then you know probably in terms of higher value players, you you know what's going to happen with Origi. You know, it's. Um, and, I, and I think there are some big decisions for Liverpool to make in the next you know, 48 hours as well in terms of, you know, are they going to reduce their, some of their demands for these players and, and, and just get them, you know, off, off the wage bill um, and consider even loans for players that all the way along they've said would only leave on a permanent basis or, you know, are they going to actually keep them and, and, and try and get the best out of them? Um, you know, of course, you know, I, I, personally, I think... I you know I honestly thought Origi would leave Liverpool this summer because it just felt at the end of last season like a parting of the ways would be best for everyone and I still think that but you know of course it's not straightforward when you know I wrote about Origi last week because I thought you know there seems to be a little bit of an unfair kind of narrative I've seen on social media that his continued presence at Liverpool is somehow stopping them from from bringing someone else in and you know that's that's not right because it's not like Origi has been turning down potential moves left right and center he hasn't you know he, he you know he will only have a decision to make if liverpool accept an offer and that you know i was told as of what two days ago that they hadn't had anything even worth considering so um 
So, yeah, some big decisions to be made there. Obviously, you know, Nat Phillips is another one that's gone very quiet in terms of someone who was, um, you know, so integral to Liverpool qualifying for the Champions League with his performances in, you know, the last few months of last season. And, you know, clearly with the, the personnel coming back fit at centre-back, you know, I, I think we, you know, we all expected him to move on in this window. But, you know, I think it's a sign that, you know, despite some of the eye-catching deals with you know for that we've seen involving clubs who have a bottomless pit of cash um you know for for a lot of other clubs who actually have to live within their means um it's it's been a much more difficult window and i think that has probably hampered liverpool's efforts to to offload players like Origi and and players like phillips who you know probably at the start of the summer they would have been expecting you know bids of kind of 12 to 15 million pound for we're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot. Probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Going back to the game, and Andy Robertson started the game, but he, he didn't have the best of times, Chris. And, you know, we're talking about attacking options, and clearly Andy and Trent, they're just fundamental to how Liverpool attack. But the right-hand side seemed to work OK, but Andy and, Mo, uh, Andy and Sadio Mane seemed to have far more trials and tribulations in that Chelsea game. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think there's been a subtle difference on the right if you, you look at the opening games of the season where Trent's not as wide. Harvey Elliott, one of the reasons I think he's playing is that he's sort of going wider than Trent and Trent's coming inside. Um, perfect example against Burnley was the second goal. Van Dijk pings that ball out to the touchline and normally it'd be Trent over there, wouldn't it? Bringing it down on his chest, it was Harvey. And then he looks inside and who's going through the who's going through the centre? There's Trent in a different space to what we've been we've been used to seeing him getting to flicks the ball to, to Mane and he, he smacks it into the goal. So I think that they're trying something different tactically to get Trent on the ball a bit more and to sort of stop teams from nullifying his his, his presence a little bit because he is Liverpool's most creative player. He is the greatest sort of uh, source of assists and you can't just keep doing the same thing if, if teams get used to it you've got to try other stuff and I, and I think in the first three games with Elliot being capable of dropping into a wider position because he is used to playing wide you know his his natural position is the role that Mo Salah plays in um, and allowing Trent to, to come through the middle a little bit more guessing the style of Jao Cancelo a little bit at, at Man City maybe they've looked a little bit at how he gets into sort of more central areas not necessarily as central as he does at City but he does have more of an influence on the play under Pep Guardiola rather than hugging the touchline and that's helped with Elliot. Now, obviously, you can't necessarily do that on both sides of the pitch. So maybe part of the issue is that it, it looks like Liverpool have channeled the ball more to the right than the left. And maybe that has made it a little bit more difficult for 
Robbo and, and, and Sadio on that side to get in the game as much and to have that sort of understanding where they've not got the third man like Trent and Salah have with Elliot going out to that side. That said, I mean, you know, if Robert didn't have the best of games yesterday, it's a rarity, isn't it? Let's be honest. I mean, there's no other left-back in the league I'd rather have there. Um, and Costas, soon because it looks like we've got a really good deputy, thought he was excellent against Norwich, played well against Burnley, assists in, um, in those games. And I think that the left-hand side is not something I'm particularly concerned about. If You know, sometimes you have an off day. And I, I, put, I just put it down to that, to be honest. What did you lads make of Gary Lineker's tweet that Trent is the best passer in English football and he should be playing as he did as a kid in midfield because of that, because he can display his brilliance more there. So this is something that Gary Lineker tweeted out yesterday. I think as Liverpool fans, straight away you say, well, you lose all the assists, you lose his running, you lose the balance of the side. What, what do you lads make of that? Um, I, well, firstly, I think he's wrong. I think Trent's got to stay at right back. Um <laughs> Ultimately, if you move Trent from right back, who is playing at right back? I mean, obviously, Nico Williams is there, but isn't the same type of player really as Trent. I guess you've got Joe Gomez as, as third choice, unless you're going down to Conor Bradley in the under-23s. And you, you lose too much if you move you move Trent. And I think he can, he can play in midfield, clearly. But I think the best way to get the most out of him for the assists, for the crosses, is to get him into those wider areas. But also, in this new sort of style of play that Liverpool are using, you've kind of got the best of both worlds if he, he can get inside a little bit more as well. Yeah, you don't move him, D. James. No, no chance. No, no, no. I think anyone who's watched Liverpool closely in the last what three or four years will will know that so much of of the makeup of this Klopp team is built around what you get from the fullbacks. It's not. I I, I think it's such an outdated concept. The idea that you know you, you can't influence a game from from right back as much as you could do from from centre midfield. I think you know. I, I always think back to that game. When when Liverpool hammered Leicester at the King Power, I think was it was it Boxing Day, I think it was, and like Trent was just like, you know, that that was probably the the perfect modern example of how a right back can absolutely you know dominate a game from that position. So yeah, I, I think it's just a bit of a you know I, yeah, it's not for me. I think um, Trent is so important to the team from. From where he operates at the moment, that that is where he is the source of so many so many goals, and you know, and the actual fact with him coming inside so often as he did yesterday, we probably actually missed a little bit of that with him. You know, could have maybe done with him being out on the touchline a bit more to to whip in some of those balls that are sometimes absolutely impossible to defend because. Um, as it was, you know, the quality from wide areas did did let Liverpool down. I thought on on Saturday, especially in that second half, when you know there was so little space to operate in, you were never gonna you know see players bursting in behind and um and you know what was what we had probably a, a dozen corners I think as well and just you know, I just thought in general it, it just it just wasn't wasn't quite up to the the quality we've 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 become you know we're almost spoilt with and. Um, yeah, I think obviously Robertson has to be cut some slack because, um, you know, he, he it was his first game of the season. I, I thought Klopp did the right thing throwing him back in because as good as Simicus has been, he, you know, he's he's still not at the same level as Robertson for me. Um, but uh, but yeah, it won't be. I don't think it'll be too often this season where we're bemoaning the uh, the quality from wide areas. Right, let's finish with some Harvey Elliott love. You, you did a brilliant piece um, last week, James, where you reunited Harvey with his youth team coach. We'll talk about that in a minute. Just being Harvey Elliott at the moment, Chris, must be sensational. <laughs> Second Premier League start, picked ahead of all these lads, Thiago, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. 
and his confidence and his fans. I think when he gets the ball, you all think something's going to happen here. Yeah, I, I spoke to him before the Burnley game for the, the, the main interview in the Matchday programme and um, he's absolutely buzzing. He's absolutely living the dream. And the, the real good thing is he believes he, he's ready to be playing for Liverpool at this age in this team, at, at this level. Um, he said to me he feels like he's come back from Blackburn like a man, like he's matured there for that, that season in the Championship, that he learned a lot there. He learned sort of like maybe more some of the harsh realities of playing at a, a lower level and having that sort of pressure on you to perform. And he's, I think he's come back a much better player. I think he's... He's more confident on the ball. He's 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 doing his thing. If you if you know what I mean, he's he's got that pass in him. The the little pass for Salah last weekend. That you know the goal that was disallowed for offside. But also the pressing. That I mean, I don't. I've not seen the stats from yesterday, but he he, he was clearly the player who pressed the most against Burnley. Twenty seven presses. Second in the Liverpool team was Jota and Trent was sixteen. So there's a massive difference there in terms of like the actual amount of pressing and energy he used up, and the fact that the manager's not only starting him, but he's not he's not taking him off. He's keeping him on. He, he, you know what I mean. He had he had Ox on the bench. He had Naby on the bench. He, he could have made that change instead of putting Simicas on for the last ten minutes. But no, he, he clearly thinks in Ellis he's got a player who who maybe can be that sort of missing creative midfield link that maybe Liverpool have lacked um, in a couple of years. Obviously, a lot of people used to get onto the fact that Wijnaldum didn't make a lot of assists, even though it wasn't necessarily always his role. Now maybe Klopp's kind of looked at that and thought, well, since Coutinho went, have we really had a sort of little diminutive, creative midfield player who can just play a little ball through and link with Mo and link with Trent like I've just I've just spoke about? And um, he's clearly going to be a really good player. He's already a good player. And it's really intriguing to see how long he stays in the team for because if he keeps playing as well as he has been, and obviously he makes some mistakes, he's only young, he's not, he's not perfect, but the manager's got faith in him. Um, and if he keeps playing as well as he has been, he's going to be out to displace. He's demonstrated, James, that he belongs in matches of this sort of magnitude. And again, a plug for your piece because it's really worth reading. What, what, what made the man, what made Harvey Elliott become what he is that he's made such an impact so soon? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think speaking to Harvey and his, his old youth coach at Fulham, Dan, Dan Thomas, um, I think... You know, what what really shone through is that you know Dan has worked in youth development for for many many years, and he said you know talent will only take you so far, and you know you need to have that work ethic, you need to have that you know that humility, and you need to have the good family around you to to keep your feet on the floor and not allow you to get carried away with any of the distractions that can come with being a, a young player trying to make his way at the the top level of the game and. Certainly, Harvey Elliott ticks all those boxes, um, you know, and, and I think you know, it was it, you can and just you know spending time with him was was great in terms of just realizing just how much he is living the dream. You know, this is a kid that you know went to his first Champions League game at Anfield when he was three years of age and was on the the cop with his with his dad Scott. I mean, you know, you you become quite cynical, then you I think in modern football when players talk about you know this is my dream and I've always wanted to play here, but. You know, he's he's got the photos and the backstory to prove, you know, how much Liverpool Football Club always meant to him. Um, you know, I remember writing, you know, not long after he signed about, you know, the, how many top clubs were after him, um, and the family were on holiday in in Portugal at the time when they when they heard that that Liverpool wanted him, and you know, they they'd had a tour of the Bernabeu and Real Madrid were were very keen, but when once it became clear that that Liverpool, you know, Harvey's team and 
the, the club of his of his dad Scott, who he'd supported all his life. You know that that there was no decision to be made. That was what he wanted. I think it says a lot the fact that you know he could have he could have had a long break this summer after his loan at, at Blackburn, um, but he didn't. You know he didn't go away on holiday. He didn't. You know he, he had a couple of weeks to rest up and then was back in the gym. Was back out running. You know lost some weight, came back leaner and stronger, and determined to make his mark. And yeah, I must, I must admit I was. You know, I was I was really surprised that he, as as well as he played against Burnley, I I thought Klopp would opt for the greater experience of Cater or Thiago for a game of that magnitude. But I think it just shows, you know, how impressive he has been on the training field. We know that's where Klopp makes his his decisions, and 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 Klopp has that unwavering faith in him. And um, yeah, and I, and I think you know as much as you want, we we all love the buzz that comes with making new signings and all the rest of it. But I think. What Harvey Elliott has done in the last few weeks as well also underlines the importance of making sure that there is a pathway there for your best young players because, you know, I think Klopp was asked about it on, on Friday again, you know, not replacing Wijnaldum. And he said, well, the reality is if, if Genie had stayed here, then Harvey Elliott, you know, probably wouldn't have played, you know, so far this season. So, um, so yeah, he's been arguably the biggest positive. You know, Liverpool have taken seven points out of a nine. Could have been better, probably should have been. Um but you know, alongside you know the the Van Dyke Matip axis, I think the emergence of Harvey Elliott and seeing that not only has he got the talent, but the temperament and, and the tactical nous to play in the biggest games has been a huge positive so far. Long way for him to go. Can't wait to watch more of it. Can't believe Chris, it's an international break now. We get this every year. Don't we? It's just <laughs> horrendous, isn't it? Uh, Steve, you do me adding. I mean, I, I just like I just sort of like. You know, get rid of qualifying and all that, and just like say, oh yeah, we we know you you know England are going to make it, you know Italy are going to make it, you know you know France and Brazil are making it. Just just go and play in the summer, lads. Um, yeah, they always they always come at a time when you just get into the season, don't they? And um, we've now got to wait. That said, when you know when it starts up again, Leeds away followed by AC Milan at home. I mean, wow, what what a start, lads! We're right into it then, aren't we? Right, boys, absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much for joining us on the Red Agenda. Chris, always wonderful to have you on. Chris McLaughlin, Liverpool writer. Uh, James, I'm sure you'll be all over anything happening Liverpool-wise in the transfer window this week, fingers crossed. Uh, And, of course, there's some great stuff on The Athletic looking back at the game between Liverpool and Chelsea at the weekend. Red Agenda Extra will be with you later in the week. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you then.